This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 25th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. We're learning more about the coronavirus just as infection numbers are spiking in many states. So what does all that mean for states trying to ramp economic activity back up? Cato's Jeff Singer comments. Well, I think the longer this uh, pandemic is going on, the more we're learning. And we're learning that it's complicated. There's not like a one answer to a lot of the questions. And there has been a tendency since the start of this for uh, policymakers and the press to jump from conclusion to conclusion when we were still in the process of learning what this is all about. Remember, this is a brand new virus that nobody had been exposed to. To me, what it looks like right now is we're seeing in about 22 states, I believe, an increase in case numbers. And the rest of the states, we're not seeing an increase in case numbers. Now, um, there are probably a lot of reasons for it as opposed to one reason. Number one, a lot of those states seeing an increase in case numbers now are states that were very minimally affected by the virus in the beginning. And now that everyone has been allowed out, we're quote unquote opening up, at least to an extent, the people who were effectively self-quarantining are now getting exposed to this virus. So that's one cause. So as more people get out, more people are going to get exposed and more people are going to become infected. Another cause is uh, testing is really ramped up now in many states, including my state of Arizona. Basically, tests are very available. If you want it, you can get it and right away. So the more you test, the more you're going to find. But we're also seeing, for example, in my state of Arizona, we've gone from 6% positive tests to 8.5% to positive tests. So it's not just more people are being found. It seems like a greater proportion of them are being found to be positive. So there are more people getting it. And then finally, there's this whole discussion about as more people have the demonstrations, for example, has that led to a spreading of the virus? And the jury's still out on this. In some, several states, like, for example, Minnesota, the case rate has not gone up since the demonstrations. And it's been about three weeks now. So we sh- should ex- be seeing something by now because it's anywhere from a five-day to a two-week incubation period. So the, the, the short answer is it's complicated. But the important thing, I think, it, to realize is that we should be placing more of an emphasis on hospitalization rates, on intensive care unit and hospital bed availability, on availability of ventilators, then we should be placing on case numbers. Because since this is a pandemic, the virus is spread throughout the world. It's in our environment. And basically, it's here to stay. It isn't going away. The only virus that affects humans that has ever been eradicated is smallpox. So uh, as you know, when people stop getting immunized against measles, which we thought we wiped out about 20 years ago, we see measles cases coming back. So it's here. So fortunately, what we've learned over the last three months is that about 90 to 95% of people who get infected by this virus are either asymptomatic or have mild cases. We've also learned who the most vulnerable are, uh, particularly nursing home patients, about half the deaths in the country have taken place in nursing homes or in institutions like prisons. Uh, we also know other people with pre-existing vulnerabilities uh, are, are, are at risk. So since we realized that this virus is here to stay, there's no guarantee that we'll have an effective vaccine, then we, we're going to have to 
adapt what I call harm reduction, the same exact approach that we use when we're dealing with substance use. Uh, we need to adopt harm reduction to learning how to live with this virus. Hopefully, when we reach what most people think is about 60% to 70% of the population has been infected and therefore has immunity to some degree, at that point, the virus will stop being a menace because there's just not enough vectors to, f- to support the virus's progress. Now, whether we get there through vaccination or through a lot of people just having gotten the, the infection and now having antibodies or a combination of the two, I don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. But we, I think what we need to do is uh, focus on what we can do. And what we can do is protect the people who are most at risk. And we could also adopt uh, uh, behavior behaviors that minimize the risk of any of us getting the uh, infection. And that's harm reduction. So, for example, now, in the beginning, there was a big debate about should we wear a mask, should we not wear a mask? The CDC said no. Then they said yes. And then the World Health Organization still said no. And now they say yes. The science was unclear, but it's becoming more and more uh, evident that masks really do uh, a lot to help. Uh, uh, Just last week, a really impressive study out from the proceedings on the National Academy of Sciences uh, basically concluded that the most effective means of preventing transmission is wearing masks. And it's not so much that the mask protects the virus from getting to you because the masks, unless they're very, uh, the N95 masks, for example, which which viruses can't penetrate, and they're very difficult to wear for a long period of time because they're hard to breathe through. What the viruses do is they prevent droplets from being transmitted. So when you're wearing a mask, your droplets aren't getting to other people. And when they're wearing a mask, their droplets aren't getting to you. So when we're all wearing a mask, we're not spraying one another and we're decreasing the uh, dose of virus that we may be getting onto one another. And that seems to make a big difference. The evidence so far is that virtually every case has come from droplets, usually indoors in closed environments, people are close, close to one another. Uh, there's not a lot of evidence that even though we can culture the viruses off of surfaces, uh, it doesn't seem to be that that's been a, a major cause of people coming down with the virus. The main thing is spray. So wearing masks seem to be the, the most useful thing we could do. Now, when you're out in the open and outdoors, your spray gets some, any viruses that might come out get immediately dissipated in the air. So in open places where there's you can keep a distance from other people, there's no reason to wear a mask. You should enjoy the the nice fresh air, uh, when you're riding a bicycle, when you're taking a walk in the park, no reason to wear a mask. But if you're in a, in a, a, a close environment, if you're indoors, um, or even outdoors, if you're close to one another, uh, then it's a, it's a good idea to wear a mask. So that's one. Of course, other things you could do, hand washing, uh, wiping down surfaces, those are all, they make sense. And of course, what we always should be doing every time like if you're invited to a friend's house and you feel like you might be coming down with something, then you say, you know, I shouldn't come over. I feel like I'm coming down with something. I mean, that's what we should do anyway. <laughs> so those kind of practices will help you know, mitigate the fact that this virus is here. But there are going to be a whole lot of people, in fact, the great majority, who if they get infected by the virus... Uh, they either will be asymptomatic or just have mild symptoms. And that that's a good thing. That's good news that we didn't know in the beginning. 
than we know now. So uh, as far as lessons for policy, a lot of states, you know, the president famously said, hey, we'll be open by Easter. Uh, A lot of the uh, legitimate uh, powers uh, to to make determinations about uh, businesses, about certain kinds of activities that people can engage in. Of course, they don't derive from uh, the White House or the federal government really at all. Uh, states are the ones in in charge of that. So uh, what would be the lesson for policy for governors, lawmakers, and even individual businesses that wanted to uh, set a rule that is uh, as minimally invasive as possible, but also uh, dramatically cuts the spread of the illness? Well, I've always uh, believed that we should try to minimize one size fits all solutions because uh, populations are different in different parts of the country uh, and circumstances are different. So instead of, sometimes you have to do one size fits all, but we should try to keep that to a minimum and we should try to keep decision-making as as decentralized and individualized as possible. Because when you put the decisions in the hand of one individual, whether that's a public health official or a governor, for example, or a president, uh, then what what is seen is the case numbers, and the governor the in, the incentives in place are going to be if I lift restrictions too soon and the case numbers go up, it's going to negatively impact my reputation and my possibly my political future. Um, whereas what's not seen is all of the unintended negative consequences that are part of what comes from from. Uh, shutting things down. So uh, I think that the best thing to do is to try to give accurate, up-to-date information on the virus and what we know about the virus and its behavior, and accurate, up-to-date information on what are the best things you could do to prevent its spread. And then allow, as often as possible, people to come up with their own solutions. Here in Arizona, where we began to open up uh, a little over a month ago, Different restaurants are coming up with different solutions. Some are only doing outdoor seating. Some are doing indoor seating, but they're having six feet between between tables and they're having their wait staff wear masks. I, I'm, I'm all in favor of allowing individuals to come up with their own solutions. The same thing, for example, in our state and many states, the governor put a, a ban on all elective surgeries. And, and I've written about this. Elective surgery doesn't mean unessential. It means you don't have to do it this minute. Well, there were a whole lot of people who were going without necessary care. Now, under ordinary circumstances, uh, and that may happen here in Arizona as as uh, case numbers go up, uh, hospitals are in constant touch with their medical staff. I get daily emails from the hospitals that I work at giving us the status of their bed capacity and how many COVID patients they have, et cetera. And on an individual basis, a hospital may decide to talk to its medical staff and say, we got to cut back on elective surgeries for the next couple of weeks until we see where this goes. That's That's been common practice for the, over decades. Whenever we have a surge in, in influenza cases, that happens. So I've already received notice from uh, the hospitals that I go to two hospital networks. One of them has gotten a lot more COVID-19 patients than the other. And the administrator said, stand by we have it. We don't have to yet, but we may be asking you to cut back on elective admissions if this can, if this trend continues. The other hospital system said we're fine. We only have 
12% of our patients are COVID-19 patients. So that's the thing. There's so many differences. And on a local level, based on local knowledge, on a case-by-case basis, people could work out their own solutions. So for example, it may come to a, to a point in the next week or so where the, the hospital system that's got a lot of these patients may ask us to hold off on elective surgeries. And then, believe me, just as soon as they think the coast is clear and we can bring elective surgeries in, they're going to say, okay, you could start bringing them in again. Because obviously, they if they're not taking care of patients, then their bottom line is affected. And so meanwhile, that particular hospital system could make that decision. And another hospital system that isn't having that problem doesn't have to make that decision. And no one has to wait for one person to make the decision for all the hospitals all over the state when it's different depending on which hospital and which community you're in. So those are the kind of solutions I think we should we should uh, focus on. Uh, and again, we should not be as obsessed with the case number as we are with the, the, the ability for the healthcare system to be able to handle the caseload. That's the most important number to watch. Jeff Singer is a Cato Institute Senior Fellow. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.